Welcome the Yanis and Antonin. Antony. <laughs> and of course, this is a auspicious event to commit yourself to the eight precepts, the Brahmacharya life. The important thing is uh, to use this this form <clears throat> to reflect so that you you see the cause of suffering and the cessation of suffering and this is a this refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha <clears throat> is a simplicity of awareness seeing the truth of the way it is and practicing, putting into practice in your life this this way of uh, awareness and morality. The moral, the, the precepts themselves are kind of foundation, <clears throat> uh, restraint on behavior and speech, so that we we can uh, have some something boundaries placed on on how we live our lives here in the community. Uh, living in a community where we have to share the facilities, uh, live together, then we, if we don't have boundaries, if we just do whatever we feel like doing or saying whatever we, what, ha what happens to come into our mind at the time, then of course living together is very difficult. Uh, so the the sila then is a is an agreement about behavior, so that we cause each other the least amount of unnecessary uh, annoyance and pain and and disillusionment. Then the practice uh, is to be aware of of what what's going on in your mind. Uh, in the Buddhist. Uh, perception, use of the word world. It's, we create the world. We're the creator of the world. So each one of us creates our own world. Now, I don't expect you to believe this, but this is a reflect on this. Do you, do you live in exactly the same world that I do? And on a conventional level, we, we would say, yes, we all share the same world. But that's not the real, that's not what we mean by the world in Buddhist terms. The Buddhist uh, concept of world is uh, loka, and that's the conditioned realm that we create out of ignorance, out of not understanding Dhamma or the truth of the way it is. We live 
inner world that we create. The sense of oneself is a, is the illusion we fully committed to. The sense of me, mine, what I think, my life, my body. And then, uh, so when we regard the world in this way, then each one of us is living in a different, different world. Now just contemplate this. You know, what, when we say the end of the world, then Ajahn Chah would point to his heart, you know, say the end, the world end is here. And so the end of the world isn't like uh, annihilation of it, but letting what we create out of habit, out of desire, out of ignorance, to recognize it, uh, to acknowledge it, to be aware of it, but also to let go of it so that it ceases. And when the world has ceased, there is this reality or dhamma, pure awareness, pure consciousness, in which uh, then the creations we make are done through skillfulness, through compassion, through love and joy, rather than through ignorance and desire. So this uh, this is this is a teaching which we apply to our lives. You know how to live together in this particular monastic form, this tradition, the way we put it into operation here at Amravati. And uh, of course, we have our love-hate relationships with it. Anything that restrains us or we can't get our way always causes some kind of irritation or frustration. Uh, We can feel suffocated, uh, shattered. Uh, We can feel adoring and and totally committed, totally inspired, and the next moment be totally disillusioned. So rather than just trying to, to hold you to a high level of inspiration, which is an impossibility. The Buddha pointed to, you know, the way it is, what arises ceases. All conditions are impermanent. Many of us come into monastic life out of inspiration. There's something quite inspiring about it, and yet that inspiration is not a sustainable mental state. Uh, it's, It's like, it's what motivates us and what gives us that impulse to make a commitment. But that will eventually drop away. You know, we get inspired in moments and we can become that disillusioned in others. But that which is aware of inspiration and disillusion, that's what we take refuge in, in the awareness of it. You know, sometimes we demand a lot from the world we create or the way or the convention we're in. We want it to fit our own views or opinions or wishes, the sense of what we think is right and how things should be. And so we we become aware of that, of how we want something to be other than it is, or we we don't want it to be the way it is. We 
we want something else. And so during this time, in, in uh, this year that you've committed yourselves to the, this uh, Anagarika uh, life here, be aware of this, this, this tendency to be, get to know, to observe. I'm not asking you not to do anything, but to whatever arises, however you react or feel emotionally, uh, inspired or, or disillusioned, uh, bored, happy, sad, elated, depressed. The encouragement is to be aware. So awareness is like a floodlight. It, it, it lightens up the whole scene. It, you, you can see when there's a, when the, in this floodlight of awareness the way it is. And of course the way it is, is that all conditions are impermanent and not self. So we chant, all conditions are impermanent, all Dhamma, Dhamma is not self, it's not personal, it's not a person, not me or mine. But Dhamma is reality. And Dhamma is is the reality of this moment, so we're we're always in the present moment, and this reality of now is ever operating, whether you're aware of it or not, is something else. If you're living in your own world, then you forget the present, and you 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 live remembering the past and planning for the future, and the present is only kind of a temporary thing that you, you know, that you give attention to out of necessity. But maybe you never really open to the present, really uh, surrender or completely relax into the present moment to just allow whatever the way it is at this moment as you uh, as an individual are experiencing it is like this. So when we talk about mindfulness, mindfulness is this ability to to open to this broad spectrum of pure consciousness. So you're, when you're into the world that you create, then you're no longer uh, aware. You're you're deluded into a realm of what I want, what I like, don't like, how things should or shouldn't be. Identifying with the body, with the, your own body, with your memories, your emotional habits, your ideals. So then that, that's no longer, you're out of this realm of awareness into uh, the realm of avicca or ignorance in which we create the suffering. Because this, 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 uh, realm of suffering is, you know, as long as you're ignorant, as long as there's avicca motivating your your life, then you're going to suffer. Suffering is, is a result of ignorance. Or avicca, uh, not knowing the, not knowing, uh, not knowing the Dhamma. So if the Dhamma is 
is anatta, sape tamanata, then then it certainly, you know, it, it helps me to remember when I start believing that I really am this person, this this position, this uh, feeling, this, and so forth. Because the self-view, the sakyaditi, is very convincing. It's how most people live their lives, in the lost in the sense of their self uh, that they create out of out of avicca. Now, at every moment, we can awaken to that the self, not not to annihilate the self, but to recognize it. So that you you're aware of the self as a condition that that comes and goes, a sense of me as a separate person, me as 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 these as these emotions or this physical body is uh, seen then in for what it is. All conditions are impermanent. Now, when when you let go of the conditions, of the conditions, their natures to what has arisen ceases. So there's nothing you have to do. You don't have to make it go away. Just recognize this this pure state of awareness which puts you into what we call the ultimate reality uh, because you don't create it. When you, the awareness that you don't create. That's why we're, today after the meal these students from Cambridge came to talk and they wanted me to define mindfulness. Because trying to define mindfulness, the more you try to figure it out, the further away you are from it. <clears throat> Because you know it's it's not something you you define but recognize, or samasati. In the in the, in the talking about samasati, not mindfulness of an object. One can be mindful of of an object, but awareness, mindfulness on this to open to everything. This total. Uh, Receptivity. So it's nothing unusual or fantastic. It's just so ordinary that it's easily overlooked. We can forget it and our own feelings take us over into love and hate and like and dislike. So in in training yourself, you, when you see you're caught in this trap of of loving and hating, wanting and not wanting, uh, the doubts, the boredom, the the um, feelings that arise, irritations, frustrations, that are a natural part of this realm. <laughs> now from the perspective of the unconditioned or from the Dhamma, Dhamma position, then you're, you, you know, you're, you're in a, it's a state of pure, pure conscious awareness. It's consciousness that we're not creating ignorance into it. We recognize it. It's recognizable, but you can't point to it. You have to recognize it. It's not an object that you can that you can find. It's it's the reality of now, which is always present. So it's not a matter of finding it, but recognizing it. 
So mindfulness is our ability to open and recognize. It's just this, nothing more than this, which includes everything. So includes the good, the bad, the, the inspiration, the desperation, the, in, the uh, disillusionment, the boredom, doubt, whatever, uh, feelings, emotions, thoughts, memories, desires of any sort, good, bad, right, wrong. They, everything belongs. Everything can arise and cease. We're not trying to, to just uh, control the world anymore. When we try to, to just hold on to the good and get rid of the bad, what are we doing? We're dividing everything up, you know, we, we want to hold on to what is good and get rid of what is bad. And that is, of course, uh, the world. The world is good and bad, uh, heaven and hell, right and wrong. And in so doing, then, of course, we're constantly at war. There's always this inc uh, constant friction and tension that is part of every... Uh, society. You know, can can the world or the society we're living in ever come to real peacefulness just by, you know, making laws or, uh, you know, trying to to be democratic and fair and and make everything right according to an ideal. You know, it's been tried over and over again attempting to create systems of government and economic systems where they you know everything is fits into an ideal but you can't you, you know never quite there's always something that you know that prevents it from ever being perfect in the way that we can imagine it should be and so in uh, awareness, we're recognizing the nature of conditioned phenomena is its its very nature is imperfection. There's nothing perfect in any condition, any thought, any memory, any ideal. Ideals can be perfect in form, but their nature is to rise and cease. They're not ultimate reality. Now this is very important to, this is what we call awakening to Dhamma, or the way it is. So this is Bhutto, this is Buddha. When you take refuge in Buddha, it's taking refuge in this knowing, this, this awakened conscious knowing in the present, and knowing the Dhamma, the way it is. And then our, then we're no longer Ajahn Sumato or uh, Anagarika, Yanis, or anything like that. We are Sangha, Supatipano, Ujupatipano, uh, one who is an individual human being practicing in the right way. So this is like a refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And they say, Bhutang Sarnangachami, Namang Sarnangachami, Sankang Sarnangachami. I remember when I first took the precepts, Years ago, I just repeated it like you know, like a parrot. I, you know, I could kind of understand what a Buddha Dhamma Sangha. But over the years, Buddha Dhamma Sangha is no longer just Pali language, a kind of 
uh, using these uh, foreign words and 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 then trying to define them according to various views about what Buddha and Dhamma and Sangha are. But actually, this is the refuge. Awareness is the real refuge. So when we when we chant Bhutang Zernangachami, this this isn't just meant to be clinging to rites and rituals or ceremonies, it's a reminder. Reminds me, ah, this is it. So it's a, it's a, you know, because we have this ability to speak and think, we might as well speak and think useful things, but not just repeat them, you know, and, and just out of habit, because one can say things, uh, you know, nonsense syllables just out of memorizing things and without really understanding what you're talking about or what it means. But by internalizing it, ask yourself, what is the Buddha, the Bhutto, this, the knowing? And this is not something lacking in you. It's not something that you've got to find or get. It's just remembering it, being this awareness itself. Knowing the way it is, so you know what I how I see things now from this position of practicing all these years is the refuge in Dhamma is in this unconditioned reality. It's no longer just some some ideal, some ideal of enlightenment or something that you know is some esoteric experience or uh, you know some metaphysical ideal that I'm aiming at. It's so real, it's real, it's true, and it's a refuge, and it's now. Now when you try to think about it, you, you know, you, you just confuse yourself. So this is where I encourage you to trust, get to recognize awareness. No, don't try to become aware. When you try, you know, I've got to be more aware, then you're, you're actually thinking of yourself as somebody who should get something you don't have. So one way, a very quick way of doing this is, uh, is, you know, when you think, oh, I'm not aware, I'm, I'm such a heedless, hopeless character, be aware of, of what, how you see yourself. So most of us come in, you know, to the Buddhism and meditation and monasticism and the idea, firmly convinced that I am a person, this person who who suffers and I've got to do something, practice Buddhist meditation, get the jhanas, samatha, vipassana, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, and get a good background in all that in order to penetrate reality in the future. So So this very attitude of I'm a screwed up person now, now if you you operate from, from that delusion, I am a screwed up person, you'll always be a screwed up person. You're stuck in that role, and no matter how hard you try to practice or how good you are, you'll end up with the same, you know, because you've never really awakened. 
you're merely operating from the ideas that you have about yourself and the world you live in or about Buddhism. So I, you know, just encouraging you to be even this very direct thing, like if you think of yourself as screwed up, unenlightened, hopeless case, it's like this. You know, I have to think these words and believe in them. You know, and then I then I become that way. You know, if I attach to what, whatever I attach, I become like that. So, uh, you know, but if I don't attach, and I can, you know, then I'm aware of what I'm thinking. So, I, you know, I would think quite intentionally these these assumptions about myself, and investigate that which is aware of I am a screwed up person. That's not a screwed up person. That's awareness. It's like this. So that you you begin to see the difference and realize it, that this sense of being somebody who's imperfect, having to do something in order to become perfect in the future, is uh, is a thought process that you create. Is an is this what we call sakyaditi, the the sense of your separateness, identity with with your self-view, with your ego, with the kind of habitual patterns you, you've formed about who you think you are, your worth or your lack of worth or how good or bad or right or wrong you are. Now then to think, well, I'm, I'm perfect the way I am. Najan Tomato says, just wake up and see. And <laughs> I'm already enlightened. What's the point of even being a monk then, you know? And try to figure it out, you know, whether you're, you know, it's not a matter of thinking I'm enlightened or I'm unenlightened. But that, what I'm encouraging you to do is be aware of thinking as an object. Because to create yourself as a person, you have to think and attach to the thoughts. And that's what, you know, the suffering, the dukkha, the samudaya, the, the causes of suffering. These desires that we, we identify with. Like the desire, I've got to do something now to become some desirable thing in the future. I want to become an arahant, and right now I'm just a, a you know, a butuchina. Butuchina is one who, who hasn't even attained stream entry. So you know, this is a Pali word, butuchina. So I think, I'm a butuchina. I'm just being humble, and I'll confess, you know, I'm not an arahant. I'm a butuchina. But this is thinking again, isn't it? It's full of I, and then we use Pali words to, we you know, we incorporate the Pali words into our own ignorant vocabulary. So then even, you know, I'm an arahant or I'm not an arahant, it doesn't matter what you think, you know. It is thinking, isn't it? If I think I'm an arahant, that's a thought. I'm not an arahant is a thought. But that which is aware of thinking, 
And this is subtle because we're not used to to this. This is this is this is a very natural state of being that that we ignore, that we've lost, that we've we're out of touch with usually. Maybe in rare moments you might have something like a mystical experience in your life where you you know, this this delusion falls away. But then immediately we if we're not if we don't haven't developed any wisdom, we create it into a problem. Because the society, the culture, the thinking process itself, all these are are synthetic kind of artificial conditions we create into the present moment without knowing what we're doing, without being aware of it or understanding it, we operate from what is artificial. So I am a, a, a screwed up person. That's an artifice, isn't it? Or I'm not, is, is the same thing. So when we talk about now when we say the way it is and so when we use this form the way it is or the, it's, it's a way of noting of observing this sense of being screwed up is like this that I'm this person I'm Ajahn Sumato is like this so it's a you know the, having a title being a teacher, being a, a senior monk and all this, this has a certain emotional uh, effect on, on consciousness. I, I am Ajahn Sumato and then that, you know, that does have some effect on conscious of this moment. But being aware of that is the refuge, not in becoming, not trying to become Ajahn Sumato or to live up to ideals of what Ajahn Sumato should be. The idea of being a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu, eh? being an Ajahn, being senior monk, being head of a monastery, being uh, uh, whatever, you know. It has, you know, this, this sense of a self, this, it has a feeling to it, a certain kind of feeling in, in, in consciousness when, when one is attached to these, these titles or these conditions. Now in terms of practicality, you know, we live in a conventional world. So, you know, whether the conventions are right or wrong, at least the, the ones we're, 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 take, we're using here are moral conventions. No, this is like the stila. This is the refraining from, you know, violent acts or, or stealing, taking things, or lying, or sexual misconduct, or uh, you know. Then, there, then there's the more renunciate precepts, like not uh, eating in the afternoon. And now this is a restraint. Nothing immoral about eating in the afternoon. <laughs> I wouldn't consider that on a moral level, but as, as a renunciate precept, it's a samana precept. So it's, uh, you know, to 
to not spend the day just looking around trying to find things to eat. Sometimes people do that, you know, you, you know, spend their days, they have all kinds of things stashed away in the fridge we can munch on and eat. Every time we feel a bit upset or anxious, we, we have a drink or eat something. And people have a lot of, this is, Britain is now, you hear on the radio, is one of the greatest threats to British, to Britain at this time is obesity. Because we we can, there's so much food around, <laughs> and anxiety and stress, <laughs> and so alcoholism. You know, is get a little stressed out and have a drink. It helps to kind of dull the pain, the anxiety that that life that we we're, that we create out of this ignorance. So these, uh, the Najakita, Watita, Vitsuka, that is to refrain from, you know, during this time, you know, to refrain from seeking distractions through the senses, playing games, dressing up, making yourself attractive and uh, to others and, and being vain and, and you know, all this, this kind of thing. To re- we renounce that during this period. Not that it's immoral or, you know, bad, it's just this distracts us. So say during this time, this year that you've committed yourself to see it as an opportunity to to look, to use the every occasion for reflection. It's like this. This sense of myself living here, being at the end of the line or whatever is like this. You know, is rather than making it into some kind of personal identity. You know, you'll hear people saying, well, he's only an Anagarika. Oh, I was wounded, shattered. They think, I, you know, only an Anagarika. <laughs> I mean, people talk like that sometimes, you know, sometimes they're not skillful, but I mean, let's face it, the world is like that. They say, Ajahn Sumedho, he's at the top of the ladder. But I'm only an Anagarika, just newly ordained, last in the Chow line. <laughs> so, so success is being Ajahn Sumedho, is that what you're here for? Or to get out of that whole structure of thought, not to to annihilate it, but to recognize it, to free yourself from that limitation of your thinking process. Now thinking is not something to annihilate, I'm not trying to, I don't have a hatred of thinking or a desire to, to stop thinking, but to learn how to use thinking. So it's helping me rather than, than uh, making me worry. When I just operate from habitual thinking, I tend to go into worry. You know, so if I just, you know, getting old and, and you know, I can always find something to worry about in the world, uh, in any place, any place I'm in. There's always something I could worry about. 
And so, um, you know, and then the, the habit of worry is, we, we, you know, coming from a society where worry is, is what everybody's doing. Worrying about passing the exam or worrying about winning the competition or worrying about, uh, you know, how I look or getting old or whatever, the future. Or we, we, we think about as you, 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 you gain years in life and you regret things of the past or you resent things. You know, I can think of all kinds of things to regret that in, in my past or resent uh, things that have happened to me in the past. You know, I can spend my, the rest of my life resenting, regretting and worrying about death. And that's coming, that's all about thinking. You just being caught in habitual thinking. Not in skillful thinking, but habitual thinking. All based on the illusion of a self, of uh, sakyaditi, of the ego. Operating from cultural biases, cultural attitudes. We all have our cultural conditioning. So we come from many different backgrounds, different generations, from Asia, from Europe, from Eastern Europe, from Western Europe, from America, all like that. And we have different uh, different cultural conditions and assumptions. So awareness is, uh, you know, allows us to be aware of, of the cultural conditions or the assumptions we we have from just being born into this family in this place. Because with pure consciousness, you know, see consciousness now is, is just a natural state. You know, it's not a created state that you create out of ignorance. You're not creating consciousness. It's, it's a natural state of being here and now but you create yourself into consciousness. If I don't create myself, there's still consciousness operating. So I, you know, through investigating this, I, I notice that if, when I don't create myself, I don't, I don't become unconscious. You know, I'm saying right now, Do I look unconscious? <laughs> I'm not dead. I mean, there's still alertness. In the, there's, there's attention, there's alertness, there's knowing. And then recognizing this simple, this is real, this is reality. I'm not, I'm not trying to be someone who's who's mindful or alert and conscious it's just like this and then after a while if you keep investigating in this way it sinks in the penny drops so you oh just that so simple that you you know you can spend a lifetime missing out on it just by operating always from some view some opinion some some deluded state. 
So you can see if you if you're becoming uh, anagarikas, just to to straighten yourself out, and well, that's that's admirable, you know, to become a better person, is you know, is is praiseworthy. But what I'm encouraging you to do is is to not become a better person or a worse one, but to awaken to the illusory illusion of personality. So in your life here in the monastery, your your behavior is is bounded by the the uh, eight precepts atasila. You know, so in terms of action and speech, <clears throat> you're you know you refrain from hitting somebody even though you feel like doing it. Or you refrain from swearing at somebody even though you have, you'd like to. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, it's not a matter of, of that you've got to have saintly thoughts all the time for this next year and never get angry and just be full of love and light. That's an ideal. And it's not possible. You know, ideals then are not not real. So the uh, the precepts then are boundaries for action and speech. So we we can go to that. Then we then then really there's something in it now that you've committed yourself in this formal way. You know, it has a powerful effect. Asking me to give you the three refuges and the eight precepts, you've made a you know, the ceremony is, uh, you know, has has an effect on consciousness. It's, some, it's a commitment. It holds you into something. And we could, well, you could just take the precepts yourself. You don't need to take them from Ajahn Sumato. You know, you don't need to shave your head, put on white robes. You can do it in jeans, you know. Just repeat to yourself the eight precepts. Uh, and that's certainly... Uh, you know, it's true. But uh, the value of a ceremony like this and this commitment is that it is, somehow it, it has a strong effect. It holds holds us. You, you did it in front of me, in front of the sangha, in front of the lay people. So it, there's some a stronger sense of commitment that that holds us. And we need that holding, something that holds us to to this when because many times we you know we go through various uh, love-hate relationships with it so like for me the the robes and the uh, vinaya and all this it's just this uh, sense of commitment to it you know something in me it's, it, you know it isn't easy it, it, you know, I could. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. I could just throw the robes off. You know, who's going to stop me? And uh, no, I don't don't have any inclination to do so. But at at times, one feels oppressed and and uh, suffocated by restriction or by form. One can become very critical of sangha life. You, as you lose your inspiration, then you become aware of all kinds of things that you don't like about it, about monks or nuns or 
or Theravada Buddhism or whatever, Amravati, Chitters. They're so easy to, you know, see things that you don't particularly like or even detest in, in any thing, any body, any condition. So the important thing is is uh, awaken to that, to being fed up and disillusioned and angry and about others, about the former, about yourself. So, so many of us suffer from uh, self-disparagement. We, we, we turn the critical faculty against ourselves and uh, then see ourselves always from the negative. So we create a, a sense of oneself. Your ego is about, you know, how how many things I've done wrong, or I'm not good enough, not clever enough, not pure enough, not determined enough, too weak, too cowardly, not strong, not good enough, all like that. We can we can uh, hold to these views as being uh, real, but th- but then what I'm encouraging you to do instead of believing in all this, recognize it. It is it is what it is in the present. Sense that I'm screwed up is 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 like this in the present, and that which is aware. Is not nothing in awareness is screwed up. The awareness itself is not what can be. You can be aware of something screwed up, like some deluded state, some some emotion, anger, or greed, or whatever. But that awareness is your refuge, not the not the uh, sakya ditti, not the ego, not the self. There, don't take refuge in your ego. But in Puto Tamo Sanko, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So this is a very, you know, I always see this as a <clears throat> opportunity that that comes to us. It's to me the monastic life has been one of you know something I feel very grateful for because it, it has, you know, it, it's it's made life much more simple than it would ever have been if I hadn't had such an opportunity as this. Even though monasticism might look complicated, it act, <laughs> actually makes life much more simple than the way I would create my life from my my own, my complicated neurotic self. My personality tends to complicate everything. So on a personal level, I can make everything complicated. You know, we can see it in committee meetings and all that, how complicated we make things. And uh, things are not just what they are, they're what I think they should be and what somebody else thinks they should be and and who's right and who's wrong and whose view is better or worse 
And it's always a you know a struggle on that level. And I was just listening to to the news today, and now you know the political scene here in Britain. You know, for a while when uh, Tony Blair uh, retired and and Gordon Brown became the prime minister, and then then all you heard was good things about Gordon Brown. <clears throat> they called it the, the honeymoon period. Everything, oh, he's he's really what a relief from Tony Blair, Gordon Brown. And now, the news: oh, what's wrong with Gordon Brown? Everything. <laughs> Gordon Brown can't do anything right, and so it goes on like that. You know, it's love and hate, and the honeymoon doesn't last. And then it's uh, he did he said this, and he shouldn't have, and who's to blame, and. Who did? Who said? Who? Who's to blame for this mess? Who are we going to put? You know, point to and say, "You're. If it was your fault." Notice that in oneself, the desire to always blame somebody. Who's to blame for this mess? Who's? Who made this mess? Who are we going to blame for it? And so, this blaming tendency. You know, and, and and then you think, well, how could it be otherwise? You know, when when the politicians are ignorant of Dhamma? So, <laughs> you know, they don't have wisdom to operate with, so they operate from ideas. And then, on the level of ideas, we all have different ideas. We might have some in common agree on some things and disagree on others. And so that's just the the nature of condition of the conditioned realm. Can you find out, you know, any group of people where they all agree on every issue? Unless, you know, they've been hypnotized and they they no longer, you know, they just operate from a from a blind conditioning process that they all, all get equally. But remember here where we're not, you know, we're not trying to condition ourselves into being Theravada and Buddhist monks and nuns as such, but to actually use this convention for awareness, for awakened understanding of the Dhamma. So, you know, it might, you know, we can be, if we become conditioned by the convention, we become what they call institutionalized. We just say, what's the party line? And we say, Buddhism is best. We say, now what is it? What religion is the best? Buddhism is best. And then somebody says, no, it's not. And we, <laughs> and then off with his head. <laughs> We've got, you know, that's one way of, of conditioning you all through fear. You know, you either have to think everything like me or, or off with your head. You can't do that anymore, but you, we can excommunicate you. Kick you out, in other words. <laughs> and so that, that's a threat, isn't it? You, 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 you tow the party line out of fear. Well, there's no party line. We might, there might be one, but it's not something I'm expecting you to, to cling to. We all have our own party line about practice and Buddhism and that. 
<laughs> what we think. You know, the Theravada forest tradition is like this, and we stand for this, and it's got to think like this, and you've got to believe in karma and anatta, and we have no God, we don't believe in God, and we don't believe in Kuan Yin and Avalokiteshvara and all those devadas are floating up in the sky like those Tibetans do. <laughs> and I know people like this in the Sangha. And then there's, then there's others. They, they, all religions are the same. You know, the kind of <clears throat> one is just as good as the other, and and this kind of grand view, all forgiving, all loving, everything is equal, everything's wonderful. That can also be a party line. You know, we don't want to seem small-minded and sectarian or partisan. You know, we want to have, we want to be known for our liberal generosity, our grandeur. And you say, only Thai first tradition, of, even in the Theravada school, it's only the Thai first tradition from Ajahn Chah that's any good. And if you don't belong to that, get out of here. And that's, uh, that's the narrow view, isn't it? And that's not very beautiful. But yeah, some people, but it can be very righteous. You know, you can, I remember when you're keeping strict Vinaya, you know, you can get very righteous about monks who carry money and and drink Ovaltine in the evening. You can really get very, very judgmental. And say, don't, I don't want to touch them or be near them. They contaminate me. And so, you know, being, keep, you know, morality can make, one can be very moralistic and holier than thou by being very, uh, you know, very attached to, to moral, moral uh, precepts. So the, uh, it isn't to attach to moral precepts, but to use these precepts for awareness, to be free from self, not to increase, to create a very narrow, self-righteous self. Or to create a self that's so broad, it, it just has nothing, no boundary, just a floating self that, that um, you know, it's so grand, but it's so unreal because the world isn't like that. You know, about how wonderful everything is and everything is one and and we should all love each other. That's that's right. Those are that's very those are very good ideas. But in awakening, we're noticing the way things are. You know, conditions arise and cease. And what where you have good, you have bad. You know, this dualistic structure of thought, thinking is dualistic. So when you're attached to thinking, then you're caught in this you know, heaven and then there's hell. Or God and uh, the devil. And then there's right and wrong, good and bad. So this is, now the, these, these we believe, you know, I found this quite a challenge to me because I was brought up in a very dualistic religious tradition in a Christian tradition where everything is divided into these these opposites. And so, 
you know, the 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 condition, cultural conditioning was very dualistic. You know, so the the heaven was a kind of you know something you had to aim for, but but you're always afraid if you know you told a lie or you did something not quite right, you you'd be sent to hell. So you know, there's a right and wrong. You wanted to be right, but you're always afraid you're you're wrong. This doubt about yourself. What are my true motives? Are they right or wrong? And and then we feel things like selfishness and and uh, and then we think that's wrong. I shouldn't be selfish. If you if not unselfishness is right, this is logic, isn't it? Being unselfish is right, and being selfish then is wrong. Now this thing of that that creates a sense of guilt and self disparagement because selfishness arises and ceases, and to know selfishness is like this. This sense of what about me and I want this and I you know, I'm I'm concerned about myself right now, not about anyone else. And to know that as a, as in the present is like this. Rather than, than uh, creating it into, I shouldn't be selfish. And that's one way of, of uh, intimidating people is you're, you know, you don't do what I think you should. I say, you're being selfish. And you go, oh yes. I've got a, John Smato thinks I'm selfish. I am. I'm a very selfish person. I've got to, I shouldn't be like this. Now we, we create a sense of, uh, 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 you know, a fear about how, of the things that we feel or emotions that we have. Where, in with awareness, then we're not, no longer intimidating, but recognizing. Selfishness is like this. Unselfishness is like this. We discern the difference. And if you trust that discerning, uh, that's the panya or wisdom, to discern the difference. Then how we respond to particular situations isn't, you can't, you can have no, you can't give a prescription for it. You have to trust your intuitive sense in the present to respond and you will respond in skillful ways the more you trust the awareness so I'll end my uh, this uh, reflection for this evening hoping that you may find it of benefit an encouragement for the holy life.